Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. The 309th edition of the Four Corners Podcast starts right now. This is the Four Corners Podcast. I'm the luckiest guy in the world, I've said that. To be in Chapel Hill, to be at the University of North Carolina. We win! 54 to 53, North Carolina did it! North Carolina wins the championship! With 20 seconds left to play, goes back to Michael Jordan, jumper from out on the left, good! You're on way to win it! Where's he five? The Tar Heels are going to win the national championship! Weber, front court, Carolina with foul. He takes the timeout, they're out of timeout. Technical foul, technical foul on Michigan. They're out of timeout. Front court, Williams on the drive. Gets it back out to head. Long outside shot. Short rebounded. May, it's over. Carolina has won the national championship. 89-72. And how about them Tar Heels? They are the national champions. I've been the luckiest coach in the world. Pump fake for three. Too strong on the shot. That's it. The Tar Heels are the national dadgum champions. Carolina has been tested and tried and been proven successful through all the years. And the way that we will play will be the Carolina way. My love for North Carolina, I mean, I love this school, I love these fans, and I love everything about it, and I would I would die for this school, I really would. Here are your hosts, Josh Marlowe and Anthony Pagnotta. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services. Josh and Anthony, we're here with you guys once again today, here to recap Carolina's 67-54 to win over the NC State Wolfpack as Carolina is now 4-0 in the ACC for the first time since 2015-2016. We'll take a look at the box score. You'll hear from Hubert Davis and Armando Baycott, stat of the game, takeaways, and of course our discussion topic, but let's go ahead and jump right into this. Um, Big game last night in Raleigh. First time since 1974 these two teams had met while both being 3-0 and in the league. Um, State still looking for their first real big win of the season. The win over Virginia for them was, was big in a lot of ways, but they needed a marquee win and a win over a top-10 team when it definitely qualified as that. It wasn't meant to be. Um, Carolina didn't con- didn't control the game throughout. They trailed till about the eight-minute mark or so of the first half, but once they got the lead, they 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 never really relinquished control of the game, um, leading thirty to twenty-eight at halftime. It was a fifty-two to forty-eight game in the second half, but a ten-zero run by Carolina effectively put the game away on their way to the sixty-seven fifty-four win. Carolina is now one sixty-five and eighty all-time against the Wolfpack. The hundred sixty-five wins. The most against a single opponent uh, for Carolina. They're sixty-nine and forty-eight in Raleigh. That's a nice number. They're nineteen and six in PNC Arena against NC State, and they are thirty-seven and six in their last forty-three games 
against the Wolfpack. And um, the biggest reason why was they held NC State to 27% shooting. That's the lowest field goal percentage ever against Carolina in the ACC era. Um, and, and simply put, you know, since the Oklahoma game, and then the Charleston Southern game, and then the Pitt game and the Clemson game, we've come on here and said that's the best defensive performance of the season. And after last night, last night was the best defensive performance, uh, defensive performance of the season, because Carolina overwhelmed NC State all night long on their way to the win. And look, I've seen people try to pass it off as these are just teams that are not shooting well, and I, I mean you couldn't be more wrong. Like, this is Carolina just defending at a high level. Um, You saw, you know, moments in this game, especially, you know, end of the first half, a lot of fouls leading to NC State getting to the free throw line. But, I mean, this team, it's just completely different. The communication is better. You're just seeing guys that are playing with more effort on that end of the floor, really that are putting their energy into that end of the floor. And really, since they've gotten into conference play fully, they've had no choice but to play that way because offensively, they haven't played great. But this team, I think, is showing you that they can win both ways. Um, You know, I I think there are some people now that are starting to think, well, this is what we're going to see from Carolina the entire year. I don't think that's even necessarily true. I think there's a chance that, you know, Carolina will have moments where they're able to score and score a lot. They're, they'll have games where they're winning because they're scoring 85 points uh, you know, consecutively. But I, I do think that the fact that you're seeing this team win by playing good defense and rebounding at a high level is extremely encouraging because if they can continue to show this, and to me, I, defensively, I'm, I'm 100% bought in. Um, and even rebounding-wise, it's hard not to be, although you could make the argument the last two opponents that they've played since a really good rebounding team in Pitt uh, ha- have not been the greatest rebounding teams. I-, I-, I think that if Carolina can prove they can win this way as they go throughout conference play, it's going to be really, really tough to not see this as one of the best teams in the country when they head into March. And I think that's ultimately the goal of of this team. Uh, I I mean, you can't say enough about the way this team's playing right now. 3-0 on this road trip. Yeah. um, I think they're they're the only team in the league that has three straight road games. I may be wrong on that, but I think when we got the ACC schedule, I think I remember seeing that they were the only team that was tasked with doing such a thing. And if we're being honest, we would have taken two and one. Like um, we said it multiple times on here. Like because if you go two and one, you're fine. It's really hard to to win three straight road games, and, and no matter what power conference you play in, it's a really hard thing to do. Um, but when you rebound and you defend the way that they have, that stuff that stuff travels. Offense doesn't travel. Like usually, you're not as good offensively away from home as you are from home. And I think when we see Carolina uh, back at home this Saturday against Syracuse, you'll see a much more free-flowing offensive performance, and they'll probably score in the upper 70s, maybe even the low 80s. Um, but, you know, to win on the road in this conference, with the way that the conference is is kind of constructed now, you got to be able to do these things. 
and it really comes down to a level of toughness. And that's what Carolina showed last night because by far the uh, the most hostile crowd they've walked into. Um, and, you know, they didn't get whistles to go their way maybe in the first half. Part of it, you know, is they didn't really deserve the whistles because they didn't play with the same aggression that NC State had had. And once they played with that same aggression in the second half, they got to the foul line a lot more, but um, there's just a there's just a mental toughness to this team, and a physical toughness to this team that we haven't seen um, in the regular season under Hubert Davis, and we haven't seen in about five years in totality with Carolina basketball, and that's why they are where they are, where they're you know one of the only top ten teams in the country this week to play a road game and win. Um, it's why they're 4-0 and in the league, and I think they have separated themselves from the rest of the pack with Clemson losing three straight, Miami losing a home game to Louisville, you know, of course beating State. I think Carolina and Duke have kind of separated themselves as the teams uh, to beat in this conference, which um, should make for a fun and exciting ACC race as we get deeper and deeper into the season. Let's take a look at the box score. Um Carolina won this game despite shooting 39% from the field. They were just 24 of 62. And that's when I talk about that defense and the rebounding, traveling. That's how you win a game on the road when you shoot less than 40%. We mentioned NC State's field goal percentage, 27%. Um, That's the lowest ever against Carolina in the ACC era. Um, They were 18 of 66 from the field. Carolina was only 7 of 21 from deep. But it felt like every time they made a three, it was a big three. And it felt like a three that you had to have. RJ was four of ten. Um, Harrison Ingram was one of three. And then Cormac Ryan was two of six. Conversely, State was two of two of twenty. That was ten percent. So you held Clemson to one of eighteen. Then you hold NC State to two of twenty. And Pitt was five of twenty five of twenty-nine. You've given up eight three-pointers on the road in three games. Like, and and you talked about how, the you know, the Carolina's defense isn't impacting them. Did State have open looks from behind the arc last night? Yes. But when you've missed 18 of them, you're not shooting that ball with confidence. You may be catching it in rhythm, but you're not not shooting the ball – thinking that the ball is going to go in. And Kevin Keats admitted in the postgame one of the threes that they made was literally one of their big men, Mohamed Diara, literally just crossing his fingers and praying that a three went in. Yeah, and so what happens is is when you defend the way Carolina's defending, it, beca- it takes a psychological toll on the opponent to where they're shooting the ball, but they're not thinking the ball is going to go in, and they're not shooting the ball with confidence. That's the thing you could say about State last night. It felt like every time they shot the ball, the arena got quiet because they were asking the basketball gods, let the ball go in the basket. Because they were having to work and earn every bucket, every point that they got in the game last night. Um, Carolina just 12 of 20 from the foul line, 60%, something that has to get cleaned up. Meanwhile, State was 16 of 21 That's 76%, but Carolina, much better job in the second half, not putting the pack at the foul line. Um, Carolina also was able to win this game despite committing 13 turnovers because it only led to eight state points. Ten uh, state turnovers led to seven points for Carolina. Then you get to the rebounding. Carolina won the rebounding margin 49-42 behind Harrison Ingram's 
19 rebounds. The only double-digit rebounder um, in the game for either team. Um, it surpassed his career high of uh, 15 the other night at Pittsburgh. Jalen Washington had eight rebounds off the bench as well, but as good an individual rebounding performance I've seen um, this season, and we, we, we've talked at, at length at how good Armando was the other night at Clemson. Um, Carolina won the defensive rebounding battle 36-28. They did give up 13 offensive rebounds, but just seven second chance points. So they've gotten better in that area, something that cost them games against UConn and Kentucky. Carolina's doing a much better job defending when they don't finish out the re- the possession with the rebound. Um, 14 bench points for Carolina, 15 for State. But Carolina outscored the pack 34-24 in the painted area, 18-9 in the fast break, 11 assists on 24 made baskets for Carolina, 9 assists for NC State on their 18 made baskets. Let's now move to our two quotes of the game. First up, you'll hear from Hubert Davis talking about how his team is defending and rebounding at an elite level. I don't know if it was a signature thing. I just you know, felt like it was another collectively great effort um, on, the, on the players. I just thought they were, you know, I told them after the game that they're not playing good defense, they're playing elite defense. Um, just take, taking the challenge of winning their individual one-on-one matchups, um, staying on script in terms of what we've talked about in preparation for each game, boxing out and rebound is the fourth straight game that we've out-rebounded an opponent. We've identified what allows us to be really good in rebounding and defending. I was telling our boss here at, at the station, Colin Hoggard, um, who's a P1 to the pod, I haven't seen an in-season turnaround this gradual in two areas like Carolina's defense and rebounding has been since the Kentucky game. And mind you, they got out-rebounded by Oklahoma, and yet it still looked better. Um, Because, you know, we've said it a few times, after UConn and Kentucky, I said not a good defensive team, not a good rebounding team because the way the roster was put together – but I was encouraged by the way that Carolina competed in those games despite losing them and was still right there with a chance to win the game. And now, you know, despite being able to defend and rebound, maybe I'm wrong. Carolina plays UConn today on a neutral court. They play Kentucky today on a neutral court. I think Carolina beats them because they've grown so much in that area. They're, they're number seven in the country in defenses of offenses, according to Ken Pop. Seventh. It's better than their offensive rating, which is 15th. And in ACC play, they're one of, if not the best rebounding teams in in the conference. Like, they're vintage Carolina. And I just simply haven't seen – I didn't see that coming, but maybe we reference this on here or not. Hubert Davis, after the Kentucky game, told his team, we can't be the best that we can be unless we commit to those areas. And undoubtedly in practice, if you weren't defending and you weren't rebounding, you weren't practicing. Like, you were being taken off the practice floor. He told you hit the showers. And, you know, Armando alluded to that as well, where it was just a stern message. And I think it's why you've seen the rotation grow, because those guys are defending. Yep. Those guys are rebounding. But Hubert's not lying. They are defending and rebounding 
at an elite level, and that's the biggest reason why they're twelve and three and four and zero in the ACC. Yeah, I mean, there's just no way around it. Like th- those are the only reasons that they're where they're at because the offense has not been great for three games. Like, and look, they've run into a good defensive team in Pitt. Um, I think NC State's probably better defensively than they get credit for, but at the same time. You know, Carolina has needed to rely on that end of the floor. And it seemed like last night, I mean, there were times where NC State had a chance off a turnover to create something. Carolina hustles back, creates their own turnover, gets a stop, whatever. It's just, it is so amazing to watch the way that this team is defending. Because in years past, you had moments where the team would defend like this. Now, granted, it was typically against some really bad teams. But as you mentioned, I think the most shocking part of all of this is that it what you said gradual. It wasn't great. It wasn't even gradual. It was literally a flip of the switch with both of these. You had some of your worst performances defensively before that Oklahoma game. You get to that Oklahoma game, you completely turn it around against one of the best offensive teams in the country. And since then, you have held every opponent since that point to less points than the previous opponent. Yeah. I mean, that's just, it's unbelievable. And then you you talk about the rebounding. I mean, this was a team that was getting bullied by Kentucky. Even, you know, Oklahoma, you mentioned it. There, There were still some key moments in that game where Carolina could have used an important defensive rebound and didn't get it. But I don't know what it was about that Charleston Southern game. That was exactly the confidence boost that this team needed. And since then, it's been a completely different mindset. And look, maybe maybe you don't even look at the Charleston Southern game. I don't know if it was just the motivation to shut Pitt up and show how physical they are, and all of a sudden they kind of looked and said, hey, we can do this night in and night out. This is who we really are. There's so much more commitment, and you're seeing guys that are stepping up. Back-to-back games from Harrison Ingram where he rebounds double digits. You're hoping that's something that can continue to carry over. I mean, look, he's not always going to be in in the double figures rebounding-wise. You wouldn't expect. But, I mean, if he can get, be a guy that gives you 7A consistently, that would be huge. The other guy, and didn't have nearly the night that he had uh, the other night against Clemson, Jalen Withers is starting to rebound. He's he, you know had two blocks in this game. You're starting to see what we were hoping we were going to see from him at some point. The offensive game still not there, but now he's really settled into his role, knowing that I am the defender that this team needs on the wing. There's so many different things that I can do, and I mean, there, there's a ton of credit defensively that needs to be given to Hubert Davis as well. First of all, the way he pieced this roster together, you've got guys that were capable of defending at a high level. Cormac Ryan's been one of this team's best defenders since that Oklahoma game. I mean, the dude is everywhere. He stays in front of everything. That was the defender that I remember at Notre Dame. But, I mean, last night, the adjustments that you saw from Hubert Davis of doubling DJ Burns after a while. Didn't get too aggressive with it early because you you didn't want NC State to have that much time to figure it out. So, you know, early on, going one-on-one against Armando, but once you realize that our that Burns will will get to where he wants to go if you just have Armando by himself, 
all they had to do was even remotely bring a double team. And DJ Burns was panicking. Uh, he's normally a really good passing big man. Some of his passes, not even close, led to some turnovers. I, I just thought it was a defensive clinic from Carolina's players and from their head coach. You bring up DJ Burns, the next soundbite we're going to play you is Armando Baycott, who after the game spoke about how he noticed that while himself, Baycott, got smaller, oh, DJ Burns, he got bigger. Yeah, I mean, I think today I saw that I got a lot smaller and he got a lot bigger. It was, I told him, I'm like, damn. I mean, I don't know. He got, he felt a lot bigger than he did last year. And I told him that, I'm like, damn. I mean, because, you know, I dropped like 10, 15 pounds. It was tough. And I mean, coming into an environment like this, I mean, you know, every time he gets the ball, they're going crazy. And I'm like, oh, Lord. But I mean, it was good. I mean, I thought we, overall, we did a great job. Jay Wash stepped in and played huge. And he couldn't really get in the rhythm. And honestly, with a team like that we'll live with that just twos like that i mean because if they're making twos they're not making threes and that's what we want we we play state one more time we play them late february early march i'm gonna miss watching us battle with dj burns because he's the prototypical nc state player he's a front runner and when things were going good in the early going last night for nc state he blew the Carolina bench uh, a kiss after a three-point play. Um, you know, he he's there. And then in the second half when Armando Baycott uh, was, was, was guarding him and they were double-teaming him and he was turning the ball over as many times as he rebounded the ball, which was twice, he wasn't giving effort defensively. He effectively quit on his team, quit on his program, and quit on his fan base. And... Um, look, he's a really hard guy to to guard because to be as big as he is, and let me tell you, he's offensive line big. He is, you know, nimble on his feet. He can move really well, and he's a really gifted passer. Um, it's what makes him dangerous. Um, if he, you know, was in better conditioning, State would probably be a better basketball team. But I thought Carolina's subtle adjustment, because I thought Jalen Washington did okay. Hubert Davis said that he guarded him the best. I disagreed with that, um, but I'm not the head coach, and so you probably should trust Hubert's word more than you trust mine. I thought Jalen Withers guarded him the best because he's a smaller guard or he's a smaller guy that was able to get up in his body. Armando was just leaning on him, which is fine because Armando's bigger, but it also it's also easier to get Armando in the foul trouble he got him in. Jalen Washington's tall and you know long. He was able to just put his, his shoulder into him and move him out of the way. Withers is a thick man, and you're not going to move him out of the way. Not Burns thick. And, and, and that was the difference. Was he and because he's 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 quicker, he was able to beat Burns to wherever Burns was wanting to get to on the floor and take him off his spot. It reminded me of when Theo Pinson had to guard Marvin Bagley Jr. back when he played at Duke, and Carolina was playing small, and no one knew how Carolina could could, could contend with that size. He put Theo on him, Theo threw his hip in him, and went to battle with him for 40 minutes, and Carolina came out victorious. I thought that was the thing that Carolina did so well last night. And they've done that in this, in this three-game winning streak on the road. Against Blake Henson, they used multiple defenders. Against Clemson and P.J. Hall, they used multiple defenders. Last night against D.J. Burns, they used multiple defenders. It's keeping your guys out of foul trouble, but it's also wearing down your opponent. 
And there's no doubt that by the eight-minute mark in the second half last night, Burns was cooked. He was finished. You, you, you look at that great assist that Elliot Cadeau had where he wrapped around the, the bounce pass to Baycott for the dunk. That play shouldn't have been there. But Burns was so give out, he couldn't rotate to where that ball was going to be and impact the shot. And, and so, um, you know, this is a guy that has talked a lot of trash despite only beating Carolina one time in his life. Um, and it's going to be – I'm, I'm going to miss watching Baycott and Burns battle because it has been a lot of fun watching them, them two go at it the last couple of years. Stat of the game – I went field goal percentage just because of State's 27% being the worst ever against Carolina in, in the ACC era. Um, now Carolina shot 39%. Nothing, nothing special, but you know when you hold a team to the worst ever against you in you know 70-ish plus years of basketball, you're doing something right. Now let's get to takeaways before we get to our discussion topic. Um, the first takeaway I have is. And you might hate this, but this this has to be how we describe him. Harrison Ingram is him. He's he's that guy. Um, you know, we we talked all summer about how coveted he was. I referenced Hubert Davis take the entire staff to Dallas, Texas, to ensure he ended up in Chapel Hill and not in Lawrence, Kansas. Um, and last night was another example. He scored nine points, had a chance to get a double double, missed two free throws. But we get free Chick-fil-A if we want it, so it's not the worst thing in the world. This man gr- this man grabbed 19 rebounds in 35 minutes. 19. And look, he's got size. He's he's 6'8. But 6'8 people shouldn't grab 19 rebounds. And his effort was relentless. His energy was relentless. And while he only scored nine points. Kind of like how I talked about with the three-point shooting. Every time he made a bucket, it felt like Carolina needed him to score. And you go back to the UConn game. We had that discussion where Jay Williams said at halftime, Carolina can win a national championship if they run their offense through him. They're not going to run their primary offense through Harrison Ingram. Not with the post position Armando Baycott's getting and the way that R.J. Davis is playing on the perimeter. But you know what they can do this year that they haven't been able to do in years past? is when Baycott's not finishing at the rim and Davis isn't hitting perimeter shots, you can isolate Harrison Ingram on one side of the court and he controlled the game with his ability to back down his opponent, get inside the the, the lane and, and finish over them, or then his ability to pass out of double teams. He controlled the game offensively for Carolina while dominating the game on, on the glass with those 19 rebounds. And I just got to tell you, man, like... I'm I'm not I'm not glad that college sports is at a, a point in time where the transfer portal is the way to go, but I'm glad that we have a head coach that isn't afraid to use the transfer portal and he he got it right with Harrison Ingram because this team would not be where they are right now without his impact. I mean, last night he's the best player on the floor. Like there's no questions about it and yeah, you're right. This this is a new era of the sport, but Hubert Davis is a guy that has embraced it. Uh, the fact that they didn't go to the NIT last year, anybody want to revisit that thought of, oh, that was the wrong decision. Really? You watching this? Because, man, that looks like a great decision. And 
You're right. I, I thought, you know, big shots that Carolina needed, he was able to hit them. That's pretty much been him all season long. Even in the games where he hasn't scored at a high level, he, he has found a way to make the big shot for Carolina time and time again. Last night, you know, in, in the first half, a couple of those uh, th- those back down turnaround jumpers that you talked about against the true freshman going after a guy that's got some length but simply didn't have the ability to handle the body of Harrison Ingram um I I mean that's what something that we didn't see from his game even watching back at Stanford that wasn't a part of his game that was literally something that this dude saw happen against him in a game earlier this year against Villanova and said, I can add that to my game. And since then, that's been a big part of what he's done the entire season. It's amazing. I mean, you see just such a smart, cerebral dude. Uh, You you talked about the ability to pass out of double teams. That really shows it there, too. And again, versatility was what Carolina was looking for in him. And man, they've got it because he rebounded as well as anybody has against NC State. He set the record for the most rebounds in a game against NC State with 19. Yeah. Like, just let that sink in of some of the guys that have played against him and have dominated them. By the way, uh, the guy that produced 18 in back-to-back years previous to him was uh, Armando Baycott. So Armando has dominated them too. But, I mean, last night, every time that you needed a rebound, he was the guy that was there to pull it down. It's just, it's amazing. Carolina needed it because they did not have Armando, uh, you know, for any significant stretch of this game. Played 23 minutes. I mean, he played 23 minutes, but the thing was, too, even those 23 minutes, he was in and out because he he was in foul trouble. There was a time early in the first half where Hubert just got him out to get a blow because uh, Burns was on the sideline, so he wanted to put Jalen Washington in the game. And, I mean, I'll be damned, Jalen Washington, eight rebounds in this game. I, I thought, you know, he had his moments. He, he He's still a guy that has his flaws, but for the most part, I, I thought he did a really good job in this game of doing what he had to do, um, you know, to, to help contend against a, a team in NC State who acted like they wanted to play physical, especially early in the game. But you saw that sort of dissipate as they started to wear down. Um, but Harrison Ingram, man, he, he's a guy that, for Carolina was a crucial piece to get in the offseason. And man, this I, I'm telling you, it's gonna be hard. There will be conversations when this season is over about where he ranks with Cam Johnson and Brady Manick, because he is right in that neighborhood. The good news is is that hopefully we get another year of him because he's got another year of eligibility. Um and I don't know what his NBA draft stock is going to look like. And depending on what Carolina does or doesn't achieve, this guy could be motivated to come back and win. Because, you know, he 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 addressed it last night in an interview with Adam Lucas on the Tar Heel Sports Network. Like, yes, he went to Stanford over Carolina. A lot of that was just the way that Carolina's roster was built at the time and he wanted to go somewhere and be the guy. He grew up wanting to be a, a Tar Heel. So um, I think, you know, even though he's only got a couple years, he wants to leave some sort of a legacy here. Doing what he did last night is a really great way to to build that legacy. As much as he is him um, and is going to be him, um, you also need maturation from your young point guard. And I think Elliot Cadeau grew up last night. Um, 11 points, 6 assists in 32 minutes 
was four of eight from the field, three of four from the free throw line. Um, look, he isn't the most gifted offensive player. He he's not the, the the scoring guard that Carolina has had recently, like Dave, you know, Davis, Caleb Love, Cole Anthony, Marcus Page, Joel Berry. But when you compare him to Kendall Marshall, and that's the comparison he gets. Whenever we talked about those ter- those those Tar Heel teams, we talked about Kendall needing to impact the game from a scoring standpoint because you know he can control the game with his passing. But you know when you play in big games. You got to have five on five offense. You can't play four on five offensively. And when Carolina won big games with Kendall Marshall, like at Duke in 2012 to win the ACC regular season, he scored, I think it was 20 or 24 points. You're not going to get that from Kendo, but they needed his 11 points last night. He was the only, he was the second Tar Heel in double figures behind RJ Davis. And he had a stretch early in the second half where it was it was brutal. Um, he single-handedly saw a seven-point lead dissipate to two because of bad decisions on both ends of the court. And Hubert Davis benched him, took him out of the game. And then he puts him back in the game. And the very first possession of him back on the court, he beats his man off the dribble to the cup for a layup. And... That's something that should get you excited, that this kid's that fierce of a competitor, that he's able to be taken out of a game, be sat down and be coached, because kids today don't want to they don't they don't want that to happen. Um and he responded positively to that. And we I mean, we'll never know if this was his growing up game. We'll gotta see what he does against Syracuse. But if he starts to emerge as an offensive threat and starts giving Carolina consistently eight to nine points a night, this will be a game that you look back at and say, that's where he turned the corner. And then, dude, that pass to Armando Baycott where he ripped around, where where he he looped it around the defender and Baycott was able to finish it home. (laughs) Talk about Kendall Marshall-esque. I mean, that's... That's some sick ish right there. I mean, that's as that's as good a pass I've seen in college basketball this season. And I mean, it, it was basically just a great representation of the mentality that he has of just kind of let the bad things go because the previous possession he turned the ball over. Yeah, and then he comes down and and he makes that play, and you're like, because when he gets the ball in his hands, you're like, oh no, don't please don't turn it over again. We don't want to let State back in the game. Oh, I was barking at him. And I mean, he he makes a pass like that, but that's the type of that that's the thing that you want to see from him—a guy that's a confident passer like that. Yeah, there's times you're going to make mistakes. Early in the year, I think people really got enticed with the fact that this guy, I mean, you look at how he played in the Bahamas. He turned the ball over one time when he was out there. And all of a sudden, people are like, oh, my God, this dude's different. He's never going to turn the ball over. He's always going to be under control. Guys, he's a freshman. You knew there were going to be points, especially in conference play, where he was going to turn the ball over. He was going to have nights where he he just he can't find a way to knock down shots. Um, look, his shot is still something that he, he's trying to find. Um, but, you know, we've said it before when we've talked about Carolina point guards, including the one that is sitting next to him most of the time when he comes out of games on the bench. Uh, go back to Marcus Page's freshman year before he gets to the ACC tournament and watch some of the some of the games he played in. He he was frustrating at times. But that was where it clicked for him. Could this be the game where it clicks? It certainly could. But the thing is, is that even if it's not, the fact that you have these moments from him where you see it, and we've we've seen the ability to get downhill 
and just drive right by guys and finish. That I, I'll say this. Carolina's got some guys, and you know, or even to a certain extent, R.J. Davis is like this. They'll get downhill and they get wildly out of control when they throw shots up, just trying to draw fouls or whatever. He is always under control when he gets to the basket. He, I mean, just about every time he gets a layup opportunity, it feels like he finishes that opportunity. Yeah, It's just you want to see him do that a little more often. So I, I, I think there is so much to like about his game. Um, you, Like you said, you love the fact that he's going to get coached. There should be no question about the passion of this kid. This guy is fouled out of two games and literally, I mean, just is beating himself up on the sideline just you know distraught about the fact that he is taking himself out of the game and isn't able to help his team like this dude cares about as much as anybody that's out there um and I think you know you've seen the maturation from him. last night was a great night for him on the offensive end how about the way we've seen him grow on the defensive end of the floor like he's doing a better job of staying in front of guys um, you know, one of the issues that was pointed out with him when he was in the Bahamas was that he was opening his hips up way too easily. Jimmy Dykes pointed that out. He's been a lot better at keeping those hips, uh, you know, uh, horizontal to the defender, not allowing guys to simply just drive right by him. And the best thing that he's done is he has learned how to defend without fouling because that was the biggest issue for him earlier in the year was every time that you needed him to step up defensively, he'd get into foul trouble. That's not happening now. So you're seeing a guy that's maturing as we go along. And to me, if the offensive game is the thing that we have to worry about with him and his defensive game is starting to feel like something we can trust, I mean, you have to be thrilled about that because I go back to watching him at the Geico Nationals. I mean, we know this dude has some offensive game. That shot will come. He has the ability to pass as good as anybody in college basketball. And as I said, I love his ability to get to the rim. We just need to see it more. Did want to reiterate uh, how well Carolina is, uh, is defending right now. Um, Josh Milo, um, a, a big you know listener to the show, sent me this stat last night. And yeah. I don't, don't know if, if this is just in the Hubert Davis era or not. Um, but Carolina is now 5-1 this year when scoring 80 points or less. Um, in their previous 42 games, they were 22-20. and 20. <laughs> um, you, No, you, I don't think that... Uh, no, maybe it could well, be a Hubert they, stat. They've lost 26 times under Hubert. Um, and they've they've lost some games scoring over... When they've scored over 80 because they didn't defend it in certain games. Um, but that's getting back to what travels, what carries over... You're going to have to win these types of games. You know, you're going to have to win a game like this in March if you want to go on a deep tournament run. If you want to make it deep in the ACC tournament, you're going to have to win a game where you don't shoot the ball well. Um, if you want to go 15 and 5, 16 and 4 in this league, and that's probably the, the record you've got to put up uh, to win this conference, you're going to have to win games when the ball just simply doesn't go in the basket for you. Um, and, and that's that's a great, you know, uh, realization for this group that's okay even if we're not scoring we got to defend and we watched this team go six and a half minutes without scoring at Pittsburgh and was down six nothing and you know as frustrating as it was to be down six 
you have to be pretty excited because in years past, if Carolina goes six and a half six and a half minutes um, without scoring, the game would the game would probably be out of hand. Hell, earlier this year, if that if, I'm going to tell you right now that if they did not score for the first six minutes of a game in the Bahamas, they would have they would have gotten blown out. Like there's no way they just they weren't a good enough defensive team. So yeah, I mean they've grown. I tweeted it out last night. This team in the three-game road trip to begin conference play, and somebody said, "Well, didn't Florida? Didn't they play Florida State?" Yes, but I—that's—I I don't consider that the start to conference play. That is a one-off. Um, I, I mean, in this three-game stretch, they're allowing fifty-five point three points per game, and opponents are shooting thirty-one percent against them. And as you said, uh, eight made three-pointers on 67 three-point attempts from these teams. I mean, is there ever a period we can remember of Carolina defending at that type of level for a, a, some sort of stretch like that? Because I, it's it's hard-pressed to remember that. Yeah, I, I, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Outside of their tournament runs, no. I, I because mean, when Carolina yeah. goes on tournament runs, they, they they defend at a level that allows them to win. And look, I'm not saying anything bad about that. Like, dude, Roy Williams, they they won the way that he played. That's fine. But like, you you never there were always there was always a game where Carolina had to outscore somebody. Look, and, and it'll happen look, again. But uh, man, I, I'm, I'm I'm gonna be point blank. Um, and. and it's not a shot at Roy Williams. It's the way he ran his program, and it, the, the results were tried, true, and proven successful. Nine hundred something wins. He's a, our favorite coach ever. Nine Final Four, three national championships. They're not three and zero with Roy Williams as their head coach on the road. They're not because they weren't built to play like this. This is what this is what makes Hubert Davis the right man for the job because he played for a coach that could that played and, and coached his teams to win these types of games. Like yes, under under Dean Smith, Carolina ran, and they could they could score, and they shot the ball usually pretty well from the field. But they could also win games like this. Roy Williams teams couldn't, with not 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 consistently. They could win it one off. They could maybe do it once or twice a year. You've done it three straight games, and and that's what you gotta that's what you gotta be able to do when you look at Kansas and and UConn and Purdue and. Those teams that have legitimate national championship aspirations, it's not always sunshine and rainbows. You got to win games in other ways. And that's what I loved about the non-conference schedule was Carolina played like nine different games in 13 games, yes. not nine different styles. And that prepares you for a 20-game conference gauntlet schedule. And now you're prepared and you have experience and you've experienced success. And that's a big difference. And you're seeing that translate onto the basketball court. Really quickly, we'll get into our discussion topic here. Um, Mentioned Kansas and Purdue and UConn. You look around college basketball this week, number one, number two, number three, number five have all lost. Um you know, and they've all lost on the road. Carolina has just completed a three and O road stint, um, where as we mentioned earlier, we would have all taken two and one. Um, you know, depending on how you would have sliced it up. We we said a few weeks ago, Carolina definitely an ACC contender, even though we picked them to make the Final Four. Maybe hesitant to say they're a national title contender. 
We're still seven weeks away from Selection Sunday. There's a lot of basketball left to be played. But I think it's fair to say after their recent run of winning three straight road games and seeing other teams go on the road in conference play and struggle to win, I think it's fair to say that not only is Carolina the best team in the ACC, they put their name in the hat as a team that has legitimate aspirations of winning a national championship. Oh, I mean, there's absolutely no question about that. To me, I mean, I don't even know how that's a discussion. Like, they they are the best team in the ACC. Like, I, I'm, I'm sorry to break it to you. I, I know Duke is playing well, but they haven't played the schedule that Carolina has. And the way that Carolina has started conference play – and the fact that they're winning games in so many different ways, like that's that's something that nobody else right now in this conference can replicate. Um, in terms of the national picture, I mean, yeah, they to to me, I mean, there's no question they're a national title contender. I got to be honest; I thought that you were gonna that the discussion topic would be, are they the best team in the country? No, they're not the best team in the country. Um, it's still UConn. I mean, I it, it, to me, yeah, exactly. I would say no. But I would say, are they one of the two or three best teams in the country the way they're playing right now? Yeah, probably. I, I mean, you look around, and, and I, I don't think it's much of a coincidence that more than likely the teams that are that you look at and say are better than them right now are UConn and maybe Kentucky. <laughs> and yeah. I, those are probably your two teams. Although, so, although if, if Carolina were to play Kentucky today, I'd be more confident they beat Kentucky more than, they, than, than UConn. Um, just because, Ooh, just because, I don't know because UConn's kind of banged up. Did they have Klingon back? It, it doesn't. So, it, I mean, I, I, I guess if if you're saying if they're if both teams are at full strength, yes, probably. I mean, I will remind you, UConn was down in the first half to a seven and seven Xavier team. Also, so, a road game on the road, you know, or a, a game on the road in the fair, Big East. Fair point, but so. like, so I, I mean, look, either way, like, yeah, I would probably still lean those two teams as well. I mean, look, they. Uh, they beat Carolina, so of course they're going to still be ranked ahead of them. But I mean, you are hard pressed to find a team that's that's winning in so many different ways, like Carolina is. Like, well, and there's just not a team that's as battle tested as they are. Like, no one's played the schedule that they've played and put and and had the type of. I mean, I think Purdue's the only team that has played as many quad one games and has as many quad one wins. And they just lost the game by 16. I get what it was on the road, but I mean, you got. You got boat raced. Like. So, um, but yeah, I mean, and, and look, this is coming from a guy that picked Carolina to make the Final Four in November, but said two weeks ago, I don't think they're 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 a championship caliber team yet. Yeah, it happened. Um, but when you defend and you rebound, because uh, Carolina's going to put the ball in the basket. R.J. Davis is too doggone good of a shooter. Armando Baycott's too consistent of a inside presence for them not to get back to scoring the way we saw them score early in the year. But and if if this is real and this just this isn't a four game stretch where they play out of their minds and they're going to defend this way and they're going to rebound this way, they can play with anybody in the country despite not having the size, despite still maybe not having the amount of depth that you want from a national championship caliber team, although they're deeper than what they've been in years past. I mean, um, they played how many guys last night? Like, we're not going to count Creighton Lebo, who came in late. Well, the thing was, last night you had three guys off the bench and play, play double-figure minutes or double-digit minutes. I mean, and even the guys that aren't playing a ton – like Paxson Wojcik coming in. The thing that you want to see from him, Zayden High, just 
don't be the guy that everybody's pointing to. The other day at Clemson, yeah, Zayden High had a rough go of it. But last night, I mean, both guys were out there. We never said, oh, man, there's Paxson Wojcik getting beat. Oh, there's Zayden High getting beat to the basket. Oh, there's Zayden High blowing a layup. Like, we never, we, we didn't say that. I thought they held their own, and that's what you're looking for. So for me, I mean, Carolina, I mean, you've got eight guys that you can legitimately play, and then you've got a ninth and tenth guy that you can use if you need it. I mean, how much more depth can you really ask for if you're Carolina? I, that This team, they're one of the deeper ones in the country right now. Yeah, I mean, they're they're... They're getting, they're getting there, um, and credit to Hubert Davis because I don't, I, I still didn't fully trust him um, to develop this type of bench. And, and I'll be honest with you, last night I didn't like certain guys playing the amount of minutes that they played, simply because it's a road game at state, and I wanted to win that game as bad as any game I've wanted to win um, this year so far. So, um, you know. In closing, you go back to the Radford game. The, my very first takeaway was was welcome back Carolina basketball because it it looked like Carolina basketball. Man, this feels this feels like Carolina basketball to me. Um, you know, this team's winning big games. They're competing. They're doing all the things that we got spoiled growing up watching, which was them winning and winning often um, and being at the top of the ACC, being at top of the, at, at the polls, and being a national championship contender year in, year out. That's the standard. That's the expectation. Um, and when you go through a five-year dip, man, it's, 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 it's hard. You know, you're down in the valley. But, you know, now it feels like we're back on top of the mountain. Um, there's still a long way to go, but um, you know, this, th- th- this feels like the program that I loved as a kid. And um, it, it's, it's been a lot more fun coming on here and talking about this team than it has been in years past. And I just can't wait to see what the rest of the season um, has in store for Carolina. With that, that's going to wrap up this edition of the podcast, guys. Before we let you go, we do encourage you guys to visit the website HeelToughBlog.com where there's a recap of the NC State game there posted for you guys if you want to go back and read a little bit more in depth about Carolina's win over the Wolfpack. Of course, I'll be getting you ready for Syracuse this Saturday, um, and I'll have you covered for that game as well as I continue to take you through uh, the remainder of the basketball season. As for the podcast, guys, you know where to find us. Every major podcasting platform, just simply search the Four Corners Podcast and we will pop up. We're there. We do encourage you guys to rate, review, and subscribe. That way you don't miss any editions of the show throughout the basketball season. Well, with that, guys, this is going to wrap up this edition of the show. I do want to thank Anthony for hosting with me. We want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels! It just doesn't get any sweeter than that.